Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity. I'm Ellie Stuhler. For the London Design Festival, the pod that usually lives at White City Place is going on tour. For two days, we're recording from the Brompton Design District and from Exhibition Road outside the Victoria and Albert Museum. Today, we're in the Brompton Design District, and producer David Michon is hosting. We often think about what to do with packaging at the end of its life cycle. How can we dispose of it or recycle it? But by the time a product passes through design stages, that is all but entirely predetermined. Now, more designers and brands are rightfully feeling a responsibility to consider where their materials come from and how designs will die. Where and how can they be reused or responsibly discarded? In the pod are two designers that approach these questions in a variety of ways through their work. Whether it is using found objects to create new pieces, or in finding beautiful ways to tackle uncomfortable subjects such as pollution. They are both, in essence, reframing the meaning of waste. Hello, my name is Kelechi Odu. I'm uh, an architect and I'm the creative director of Operanza Collective. I'm Sophie Thomas. I am founding director of Thomas Matthews Communication Design Agency. Kelechi is a design polymath, working in architecture and urban planning, development, furniture and set design, and in fashion. He is a founder of the Operanze Collective, based in Lagos, which has this year at the London Design Festival presented Spolia, a collection of furniture and objects inspired by what Kelechi calls embodied energy. Sophie is the founding director of Thomas Matthews Communications Design, a studio with a strong commitment to ethical and sustainable design. In 2012, she founded The Great Recovery, a program to build capacity and understanding of circular design in the materials supply chain. Although I'm a communication designer and I run a studio, I'm also what's known as, or what I term myself as, a design garbologist. Mm -hmm. And a design garbologist is somebody who uh, works with designers and works in the design area, in this industry, um, but comes from a very kind of anthropological Mm. perspective, particularly around waste. So helping designers understand implication Mm. and impact of their choices, helping government and big business to understand the impact of design in moving towards something like a circular economy, you know, Mm. a closed loop system, which is, you know, a massive undertaking. And also sort of not getting, picking apart the stories and understanding the narratives behind things and why we do things. So I'm really excited and I get very excited about learning stories and getting the sort of behavior change of people. Why do people have terrible Mm. habits or good habits? You know, what makes you change a habit? Particularly around waste and Mm. that's what I've been in the last months talking a lot about because of the plastic and the blue yes. planet effect as we call it I've been work actually been working in ocean plastic for about 10 years so I've been doing a lot of work on that right. but your work is very clever mm. and that's what I like about it you're kind of there's something about the aesthetics of a material mm-hmm. which is you've gone to find in your pieces but someone else has discarded yes I, I think um, it's exactly what you were saying, actually. It's quite nice to know that there's someone that does this because uh, I've had to police myself and uh, other designers because there are two ways that architects work. One is, you know, you have a vision 
and you you try to implement your vision as quickly as possible with uh, and exactly as you've had it in your head. And the other way is um, you look at everything as a, sol a problem to solve. And um, what you're doing is you're including the ecological effects in mm. the problem to solve, which is what was exciting about what we did in this collection. It's like we thought the main problem. So what we did, we have a, you know, we're designing furniture. And what we did is we decided that since it's coming from Nigeria, we were going to include the idea of embodied energy and the fact that it's being shipped in the design process to try and mitigate how much energy it costs to just have this object. But also... Um, talk about reuse and things like that and so each object is completed with items from the UK it's found objects from the UK which meant in the design process which is what you're talking about we had to think about what could possibly we could possibly find in mm -hmm. the places and do a lot of research yeah so it's interesting that you say that I mean do you find the designers are receptive to, to your um yes I think so a lot of designers think that they have no power mm. I don't know if that's to do with the fact that they say this is the brief I have a client you know we're very much a service mm. industry and they have that kind of mentality and I'm like who chooses the materials mm. who chooses the way that you're putting those things together you are yeah. so actually you have a huge amount of power and a lot of the time also it's about you can go back to clients and say I understand the challenge but you're not asking the right question mm. and actually you can persuade them to kind of shift rethink, yeah. to rethink it but I, I mean, I'm I'm really excited about all the materials that are coming out. Mm -hmm. You know, loads and loads of all the new materials that we see actually mm. in, we've seen in the festival this year. Very much focusing on using waste mm. materials or what other people perceive Consider as waste. As waste yeah. And the whole definition of what waste is actually is quite an interesting mm. one, isn't it? In a way, you're kind of a library as well because you give <laughs> us information, right? You're yeah. like, okay, these are the things you can do to solve your problems, yeah. right? It's it's a very exciting thing. The um, water. Which is so funny that um, I went to uh, Jane Withers did a talk yesterday. Yeah, with the f her new fountain. Exactly, mm. the fountain that's yeah. right opposite. And um, one of my theses in university was about water and water management, but particularly the cultural response to water mm. problems. And so um, I had two case studies. One was Singapore because they have no clean water, and uh, the other was uh, was Holland because they had water inundation. Mm. And it made me realize that it's, you know, we take for granted the power of not only designers, but artists and everyone else, because all these are cultural problems, yes. you know, and you have to shift the cultural mindset. And so what they did, for example, they had TV shows in Singapore about water. So, you know, just to make it a special object, they have parks that are designed around water, you know, sort of conservation, water maintenance and water preciousness, you know. Yeah. And so they've created a culture of water, water respect. And yeah. it affects the way people react to it, you know. It's so very, yes, it's very, si it's very similar to waste, isn't mm. it? And, and actually the, the fact that we call it waste and mm. not just resource that's, you know, just not used. Mm. <laughs> what, what would be a good name, you think, for like, uh, waste? I think probably the closest we have is like, you know, we have waste managers now calling themselves resource managers. Resource managers, exactly. Which is quite, yeah, mm. potential. <laughs> yeah. Not, <laughs> <But> not exciting. <laughs> yeah. Also, what I really like about using waste materials in work is that you, you have unexpected results. Results, yes. So you're mm. not in control, and I think we tend to hold on to things as designers mm. and go, I need to be in control, mm. I've got to hold, you know, I need to have that absolute red, or mm. I need to, you know, it needs to finish like this. In fact, actually, if you throw a spanner in as a kind of waste product, you never know what comes what out. What comes out, yeah. So I've been working with um, a glass blower, a glass artist called Louis Thompson, mm. 
and we've been looking at the theme of the work. So we pulled together a theme around waste and actually ocean plastic, but worked completely in glass mm. and worked with waste glass. And we created these bottles, which were misshapen, kind mm. of two-litre bottles, hand-blown. And inside, they had all these chunks of glass that were on the floor of the glass oh, studio, nice. and they, they represent all the plastic falling to the bottom of the ocean. And we never knew what was going to come out of the kiln, and they were absolutely beautiful because mm. they kind of, they completely, you know, you're just like, wow, you know, <laughs> how did that happen? And there's a whole chemistry around it. So this idea that you, you know, through just trialing and testing and you get these incredible effects yeah. out of it, which, which you're seeing in your marbles and as well, aren't you? Yes, the exactly. pieces that you were using. I mean, the thing is, I think um, what we're talking about actually in, in this scarf that you showed us, you know, the patterns as well, is yeah. already talking about, um, I guess, deification of, of material. One of the things that made us start the collective was the idea of making, right? There's a tension we have with making. We have so many objects in the world, but we have this impetus to make. And so... One of the ways we dealt with it is, you know, using objects that are made already and mm. making them to new things, and so we take care of that. And I wonder what you think about this desire we have for things and making things, you know, what is it primordial, is it, you know... It's that creative energy, isn't mm. it? It's that sort of need to make. Mm. I think um, run it's quite interesting running a design studio because it gets to a point where you're actually just managing, mm. and I think, well, that's not my training, I'm a creative person and actually it's like, like a muscle if you don't use mm. it kind of you get a bit mm. get, get cricks and start <laughs> twitching so I think there is this desire to make from yeah. a creative perspective, perspective yeah. but I think I also do think that we suffer from stuff yeah. overload and that's a really difficult thing that we find a lot with designers you mm. know I love making I really want to make things but I'm really conscious that I don't want to make another thing another that will end thing. up in a landfill yeah. site so how do I stop that? And actually being very conscious about the materials used, how you could then maybe make something that becomes something else or, you know, yeah. has a second or third or fourth, fourth life, life to it. That's the key because then you kind of, or think about longevity yeah. or, you, you know, all of those things tied together. The other question too is, you know, I'm thinking about 3D printing, right? Mm. And what does that do to designers? Like what does it mean for us in the long term? You know, there's something very liberating about it, uh, you know, sort of as a community, but, you know, to sort of affect our jobs. I always wonder myself, mm. I don't know if as a designer you think about that. I think it's all of these things, they're sort of new and they become tools mm. in, the, in the end, don't they? And actually, I think what I'm seeing actually is a rise of the artisanal... Yes, exactly. ...craftsmanship mm. again, because that's the kind of piece that can never be replaced mm. by robots or mm. AI, you know, actually to be able to make with your hands is such a skill and mm -hmm. such an amazing thing it's such an amazing um talent to have and hopefully it'd be one of those things that we can never yeah. give up you know mm. we'll always have to have in our culture because yeah. it's, it's so entrenched into our culture i know the yes as we were doing this collection for the uh, operandi collective so there are so many mistakes especially with marble mm. and things break and you know so, you know things chip and all the marble we sourced in the uk was you know things that were were um, pieces that were off-cuts or things yeah. that were rejected. And uh, I made us think about the fact that this search for perfection is part of the reason why we have so much waste as well. You know, everyone wants, yeah. yeah. But w more fundamentally, I think we're losing the humanity in objects based on this desire for... Uh, we're losing the human touch. Yes. So we, we don't see ourselves in the things that we make when we have these things that are so sort of refined and perfect and... Yeah. You know, 
But it makes me wonder about design because design is, you know, is involves like you know. Yeah, you I think that's production. the difference. Probably the difference between art and design, isn't yeah. it? That actually. Um, Design is very much a kind of mechanical, yeah. or seen as a mechanical process in the sense that you are not designing one-offs generally, you are designing... To be produced. To be, to, to be produced, yeah. so there's a sort of machine element to it, which is where 3D printing would yes. come in. So you lose that handmade nature. I think what I was saying is that you, you we're kind of seeing a bit of a resurgence yeah. of the handmade because people are kind of pushing against it. And even 3D printing, you're seeing the hand come in and sort of deform yes, or change yes, things yes, as well yeah. so it's interesting times I mm-hmm. think for designers I think there's a real issue about materials yeah. and and relearning too because yesterday part of what was interesting at the talk uh, Jane's talk was that um, she talked about how you know fountains for example mm. and uh, we're now trying to get fountains all over London uh, there was a time when there were fountains everywhere and they, they understood the value of fountains and you know how they were communal things and so on and so forth mm. and even in Nigeria where we're from there are all these systems from medicine to um, building systems that we've lost over the years and then they're starting to come back you know people like me go back and we're like oh we need to get all the carpenters with skills together because they're things we're losing and so there's a relearning that's happening sometimes it feels like we're doing new things but yes no, we often going back to yeah. what was good before yeah. <laughs> But that's the kind of convenience, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that you see in London, the convenience of having on the go mm-hmm. water, food, etc. The consequence of that is you have a big waste trail of packaging yeah. behind you. And, um, and disregard and not well, disrespect for the things because all of these things are so difficult to get to us. I mean, one respects the fact that you can get water everywhere yeah. in London. And there's something very sweet that doesn't happen in New York. Apparently, you can go to a a restaurant and ask them for a glass of water and they'd give it to you happily. In London? Yeah, in yeah, London. Yeah. But in New you York, not could. so much. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, you know, like, the waiters get very like, irritated, like, ah, there's your water. Are you ordering anything? <laughs> <laughs> the thing about water, and bottled water particularly, is the profit margin on that is massive. It's so big, yeah. So actually for shops to sort of get rid of them is quite, <laughs> like, it's quite a push. <laughs> and also, and you know, not all of us want to drink from water fountains now. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing lots of ethnography work mm with different citizens and some citizens say I only drink this type of water it's only this brand Mm. I will never drink out of water fountains Mm. unhygienic and you just think well that's what they are you can't change you can't expect to change people's behavior completely although you know one can talk about things like smoking ban right and how you know so that you know and even the fact that we're drinking out of bottled water you know is what 70s plastic bottles specifically and so it's new habits that were formed, and it was yeah. PR and marketing. Oh, right? God, yeah, yeah that's got that a look, yeah. So we could PR and market it away, no? We could, we could, but I still think you will always get certain some, yes, some course, people who really stick with it. But then also, actually, that, can we not say to the brand whose water this guy drinks, you know, can you actually, can you change his behaviour? You're listening to a special episode of Thought Starters, a podcast for White City Place, recorded from the Brompton Design District as part of the London Design Festival. In conversation are Kalechi Odu of the Operanza Collective and Sophie Thomas of Thomas Matthews Communications Design. So actually, can you go back to the brand and say, you know, can you change his behavior? Because yeah. he's so attached to you. He loves your product. Mm. Can you... S- 
change the way that he drinks his water? Mm. You know, can you create a subscription model for mm. him so where he can fill up, particularly in your and get your water in different places? I don't know. You know, this is we have to think about these things in a very different way. You don't necessarily have to push these types of people to change their behaviour, but yeah. you can help them through the way they do it and really think about the kind of his culture, I suppose. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's the fascinating thing is that we tend to design for one particular area Mm. one particular type of person and actually when I look at waste I see many different types of Mm. behaviours and and they all have their own cultures and actually you have to you have to sort of deep dive into people well you know what's exciting about what you were saying before the fact that you know more people are going into design is that (coughs) automatically we get people designing for different kinds of people yeah which is what we're sort of seeing. Um, it was very fun to sort of watch who was coming through our space and see how they react to the things. Uh, most people are like, oh, great furniture or great clothes. But, you know, when they hear the story, yeah. people like certain ideas more than others. And it's really interesting to see that, you know, I think the, there's sort of a democracy that will happen the more designers there are. So I guess maybe answering that question about 3D printers, I guess the more stuff it is made honestly and you know with interest and to solve problems the more people will be engaged mm. I think there's a big future in reuse for sure one question about the ocean so how far did you go with all that uh, the work in oceans did you I'm still doing a lot of it I, I'm a lot of the ethnography pieces I've been doing yeah. is around plastic so what we have done is moved out of so for instance we know that like 8 to 12 million tons of plastic goes into the oceans every year we know that 95% of that is on the ocean floor. Mm. So therefore, if you want to affect change, it's not necessarily about taking it off the surface, it's really. It's more about down. going upstream yeah. and seeing where it's coming in and seeing how it's getting into the water in the first place. So a lot of the work I'm doing is now in looking at litter behaviour, looking at recycling behaviour, household businesses, all of those things, and then going into the design of the products. Mm. Is the design of the product actually stopping us recycling it properly? A lot of it is, mm-hmm. yeah, and the systems aren't set up mm-hmm. right. You know, we are at the moment at a point where, because of plastic being seen as being very bad, mm-hmm. we are immediately reacting and say, "Oh, we're going to change to biodegradable mm-hmm. or using compostable cups and mm-hmm. color." Our systems in the UK can't, can't cope, cope with it, with that, yeah. so all of that will go into incineration, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is <laughs> not good because actually you had before a very recyclable material. Yes. So I'm trying to sort of unpick it all. Mm-hmm and work, then work back into it. So, but I have a great love of, I mean, it's, I have a lot of plastic mm. in, you know, that I picked up on beaches from Cornwall, Wales, Scotland, all the way to Hawaii. Mm. And I like to use them to tell stories, which is why, you know, my scarf, that's, that, scarf, that's yeah. a piece I've been working with Ella Duran, who's mm. a textile designer, and it's called Clean Up Camo. <laughs> And it uses my collection, and we photographed them and tessellated them and created it. She's actually, at the moment, doing a, a reupholstery mm. project with Urban Upholstery, who are doing this old chair. They're covering it in that pattern, nice. printed on a velvet. So I'm really looking forward to seeing yeah. that. But this idea of actually, so you sit in it, and you it tells you a story about it. And then you say, oh, that's really beautiful. And then you go, oh, my God, mm-hmm. that's plastic from a beach, and that was actually from Spain. So... The storytelling behind it is the really powerful thing for yeah. me. And that, that's the cultural aspect, and yeah. that's what causes the shifts. And yeah. But for your work as well, you have that story behind it. So mm. you look at it and you go, that's a really beautiful chair. Mm. And you go, oh, hold on a minute, that's a bit of marble that got cut off mm. and was about to be thrown, discarded. Mm. You know? And I, get, I think a lot of people get more and more pleasure about the fact that actually you make something that is somebody else's waste is actually your treasure. Your treasure, you? yeah. And it, it becomes something beautiful again. Yeah. So it's sort of taking it out of that definition. 
true. I mean, in Nigeria too. I mean, there's um, you know, especially where I'm from in the east, there's the idea of age groups and um, you know, sort of aging like wine, and so you become more precious with the more experiences you have. And so items just become more precious based on what happened to them. So the scars, and it's not only in Nigerian culture. I know in Japanese culture, for example, cracks are, yeah. are finished with gold, you know, and marble and stuff like that. Again, I think, you know, the cultural shift is what's going to really help us in that mm. direction. And in the work that we're doing, right? Yeah. You know, sort of testing, questioning, yeah. creating, recreating. And using modern and traditional techniques Tec- together. Yeah. Which is why I also really like, you know, if you've got really good, mm. um, if you've got really good artisanal qualities in a culture that are getting a dying, yeah, we have so that in, you know, in Stoke, for oh instance, yeah, in, in our UK, in our ceramics so and yeah. and textiles as well. And we think, oh, this is crazy. How can you build in some of the new technologies that are kicking out and say, well, could you work together? So this idea of, you know, not just 3D printing mm. with with one material mm. can you bring in porcelain mm-hmm. can you work in that and you know, how does that build into something which has become new businesses new industry and you know what new culture because what yeah. is culture apart from your activities and objects the things yeah. you create I mean that's how you identify yourselves and so when we lose these things it's also we're not creating this beautiful identities that make us interesting to each other but also help us to ground ourselves in a place one controversial thing I just want to talk about it's a bit it's bothering <laughs> me um, not, so <laughs> not so controversial but it's you know it's about the water thing mm. I remember it's, I can't remember what scientists said it um, they asked him about some human activities you know like war and crime and he said and they asked him is it natural and he said you know other people doing it natural part of nature human beings and he said yeah so then it's natural and so we talked about cell phones before and becoming cyborgs what if we're becoming plastic human beings wow you know. i mean think about this material it was it's only about 80 75 years old yeah yeah and most plastic will last 450 years and we're so reliant on mm. it i mean it's everywhere you know, one of the things when we were doing the ethnography research, we were saying, okay, just keep, like, it's a kind of app where you, you basically take pictures of every time you experience plastic. plastic. And people were saying, you know, oh God, I thought it'd be really hard to fill that up. And I was like on it all the time going, oh my God, it's just, <laughs> I'm completely surrounded by it. And also it's very, in places where it's completely invisible. So I would say that we are definitely, you know, people talk about it being as the plastic scene, you mm-hmm. know, like as, as a, Anthropolo- Anthropocene, oh, Anthropocene but a plasticine, plasticine. Yeah. and I think that's probably right. We are mm. very, very reliant on it mm. because it has this. It was sold to us as this amazing solution p- to everything. Solution. And post-war, you know, we were in a very in a position where we needed to have that positivity, mm. and we needed to have disposability, and we mm. needed to have cheapness, mm. and we needed to have color mm. and brightness, and kind of and ease, and, ease yeah. and beautiful new design was all shiny and amazing. And it's never really lost that sheen to it. So that's how it stuck with us. Mm. The feedback now, for, you know, the kickback from our planet is really had such an impact mm-hmm. on people because it suddenly made it very visible again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I didn't realize that, you know, just because we have this out of sight, out of mm-hmm, mind mm-hmm. way of chucking stuff away as well. So I think that is right. The issue is though, is that okay? <laughs> that's the question because we don't know if it's I mean we suspect mm. that it's not mm. we suspect that there are consequences mm-hmm. chemical you know health wise mm. and um, you know impact on other species on the planet because mm. we're not the only ones yes exactly but we just don't know at the moment 
so that's the question yeah and maybe the, those of us that continue to live on like you know we'll be the ones who can deal with plastics so and then we'll, we'll, have, we'll plastic, be plastic, plastic ourselves people. <laughs> plastic <laughs> people yeah i mean actually i think it's i suppose that going back to that shift in you know looking at craft mm. it almost feels like people are sort of slightly moving away from it as a material mm-hmm. it's losing its sheen, it's sheen a bit. which is yeah no pun intended right? yeah <laughs> i recently did a project around working on a project which looked at how we build in citizen behavior energy mm. to help reduce plastic waste in the ocean with the starting point of looking at doing an ethnography piece of research so we worked with a, a research group who found a sort of very big spread of people demographically and went through lots of questions with them talking about how they experience plastic it was really interesting because we then took that and then built kind of personas around them mm. and and built understanding of different things like responsibility is it necessity uh, kind of um, emotional connection cultural connections to it but all around the material so like culturally how are they connected to mm. plastic you know it could be that they always go to a certain shop and buy their lunch from the yeah. shop and so they kind of they're connected in that way to it or their mum gave them their old her old Tupperware boxes and she this person still uses them etc so there's a kind of connection to the product or this box particularly but what I found was really interesting is that a lot of companies and des- who work with designers mm. tend to do that from the front end. So they'll focus group their products before it gets to market. They'll talk to people about, how do you think about this blue on this post? Or how do you think about this, the feel of this material? <laughs> yeah. And they go, oh, I don't like that. Or how do you like the taste of this? Or what, you know. Yeah. But they'll never do that from an end-of-life perspective. So they won't ever say... You know, once it, if you're talking about packaging, packaging gets to a point where it becomes a negative mm-hmm. in value to people. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh my God, I have to throw this away now and I can't find a bin. Yeah, that kind exactly. Of thing. But a company doesn't have the responsibility to do that. Yeah. So they're kind of, you know, it's all kind of like, oh, well, they'll just find they'll a way. The, or the local or the council city will, will take it. Exactly. So it was really interesting to then feed that back to the company and say, this is your product. We know you've designed it in a way to sell and then carry the, your product to the customer. But now the customer's really fed up with your packaging. <laughs> and they're like, oh. And it's not just us. You know, subsequently, they're getting thousands of calls post Blue Planet saying, mm-hmm. why is your stuff overpackaged, so overpackaged? I don't want to have to deal with that. Why is that my problem? Which is, you know, from a perspective of, you know, working in this area, that's brilliant. Because it's now great. we have all the... The energy, exactly. don't you, for that? And you have the impetus and the clients buying. Yeah. I mean, you know, what you're highlighting for me too is, is um, uh, you may not feel like it, but London is super clean. And so the municipalities are working. I mean, coming from Lagos, you know, Lagos is a great city, but the effects of plastic and uh, packaging are very clear in parts that are not well maintained, uh, you know, because it's everywhere. It fills gutters and uh, water, you know, so you see it. And yeah. so, you know, one doesn't have the luxury of sort of which is what the issue is here, yeah. is luxury of not knowing what's happening to it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I Invisible. mean? Invisible. Exactly. Mm. And it's really funny because we use plastic a lot less. It's only the important things that are plastic. Most people who eat every day eat from, you know, at least uh, most people, and this is not wealthy people, yeah. eat at restaurants where they're served food. We don't like fast food that much. Yeah. It's not part of the culture in that way. And what we call fast food restaurants are restaurants where you go and sit down and you get food that's already made in general. Uh, we have some burger restaurants and things like that. But So isn't that culture that, um, you know, plastic culture is related very much to 
speed and yeah. efficiency of service, right, and movement and packaging. And yeah, London's food is still slow. <laughs> exactly, food is still slow. So we don't see we don't, we see a lot of it as a nuisance anyway. So plastic is already a nuisance. The problem's nobody's doing anything about yeah. it. That was Kalechi Odu of the Operanza Collective and Sophie Thomas of Thomas Matthews Communications Design. This has been Thought Starters, recorded in the pod at Brompton Design District as part of the London Design Festival. Thought Starters is a DNN Co project for White City Place, produced by David Michon, recorded by Alex Port Felix, and edited by Claire Urban. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at White City Place. And subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes, Acast, and Stitcher. Give us a rating and write us a comment. It really helps. We'll see you next time. Thought Starters.